Incoming transmission. The Gallifreyan word of the day is... Hello. These are the voyages of the starship Inter... Actually, let's switch this up a bit. and welcome to the computer resume podcast the show covering the entire star trek franchise and this episode of doctor who in chronological order for fans new and old i'm your host writer comedian mr todd a davis back on the show for the first time in over a year he is one of the hosts of four quadrants podcast that's right folks i convinced someone with a british accent to talk to an american about doctor who uh you're not gonna hurt my family right don't worry about it it's jerry antimano yay (laughs) (laughs) how you been man i'm good mate yeah thanks uh thanks so much for uh getting me back on the show oh it's my pleasure it's my yeah over a year dude where have you been hiding man since episode 39 this is episode uh 84 so wow whoa (laughs) that's that's amazing it's amazing how far the show the show has come to it it's uh it's it's really awesome oh Um, thank you so much it's seeing how far it's come (laughs) yeah i i'm you know every you know every few episodes i kind of stay step back and take a breath and just be like man this is great this is a lot of fun (laughs) i'm i'm glad i'm glad you're out there doing your thing and having fun what what have you been up to for 50 some episodes uh, for a year like how how are how are the wife and kids how's work how are you sir uh well work has been really really crazy um those of those of you listeners who who listen to the four quadrants uh that uh, that i uh, that i co-host um have probably realized we haven't released any episodes for a while uh that's because work has been totally crazy right. um but uh, yeah, things are really going well. Family's good. Um, my uh, uh, my four year old just started pre K in September, so oh. it's a whole new era for us uh, with uh, with one less child uh, <laughs> screaming in the background while I'm trying to do a Zoom call. So, <laughs> <laughs> look, look, but, uh, now let me yeah. ask that that first day dropping her off. Did you cry? Uh, no, I, you know I I didn't. I was. I was actually really, really, really happy. Really, like, oh, yeah, because great. I mean, you know, with COVID and everything, like you know, we've we've had to keep the kids indoors and stuff. And she's, of course. you know, she she's a really social person. She's a pre-COVID baby, so oh, she yeah. like she she was used to the whole socializing thing that we used to do with the family and friends mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And obviously, with the pandemic, like that shut everything down. And then it was just mum and dad, and then obviously sister who came along eventually uh, oh, uh last right. year um and this is really the first time she's really had i don't know the time to socialize with like people her age effectively <laughs> yeah no it's such an important thing like uh what are your what are the what are the ages again uh so my oldest is four and uh my youngest is 18 months oh that's great that's great <laughs> i'm so happy for you guys um yeah it's you know it's it really is such an important thing. I, you know, I look at where I came from in my schooling and I mean, 
I'm more of a social butterfly anyway, but like, you know, I've seen folks who have uh, been homeschooled their entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, and the things that kind of come along with that uh, in terms of social development. Yeah. Um, stereotypically, it's not, it's not, it, it's not every person, not every homeschooler is a weirdo, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it, you know, we've, we've got friends of ours here who have young kids and, you know, have been like, well, we started homeschooling and we're kind of in this pattern now. I mean, and some of them have decided to send them back to school and everything. And it's just, you know, I, I don't, em- I don't envy parents. That is a, it's a, t- it's a tough job to begin with, let alone in the age of COVID. Uh, so I'm so happy for you. Uh, how's the wife? Uh, yeah, no, she's doing well. Um, she, I, I, I have tried to, uh, uh, well, actually, I, I tried to get her to watch the classic Doc Two that we that, that we're about we're we're about to go through. But uh, there's <laughs> there is only a certain there's only a certain amount I can uh, I can coerce her to <laughs> to watch. But she is into the new Doc Two stuff, so that's, yeah, that's really awesome. You know, uh, my my Doctor Who experience was very um, well. I mean, I think it was unique. I recall um, back when Netflix actually loaded i think it was 18 of the original series yeah i remember that yeah and they loaded those up and then they also had uh starting 2005 Mm -hmm. um and i said you know what if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do it right so i started and i worked through all 18 of those series uh and then when it came time for 2005 uh is when i pulled the wife in and okay. she was just she was just kind of like, "What is this?" I was like, "It's a sci-fi series. It takes place in England." And it, and you know, tried to tried to give her like the bullet points, but not you know too much. And I recall we were she was she was there. She sat there. She sat next to me and watched basically to be like, "Okay, I'm gonna sit next to my husband. We're gonna watch something weird. It's fine." um and i looked at her you know she's half paying attention the next episode i look and she's looking up at the screen a little bit more uh third episode she's pretty steadily watching the you know the doctor and rose running around doing stuff and then it got to a point there was a i think it might have been i think it might have been the episode dealing with the death of rose's father mm-hmm and that's that's a that's a that's a that'll put that'll put the heartstrings yeah it's a little heavy and that episode ended and i look over her and she's got tears coming down her face and uh i said and finally like before the next episode got running i hit pause i go so what do you think so far (laughs) and she goes stupid show oh man but yeah it's uh doctor who the doctor who fandom is a pretty unique beast i feel like just because it was kind of it came about at such a unique time uh where tv was still pretty new Mm -hmm. and a lot of productions were basically a step above a stage play you know most early television was essentially them just pointing a camera at a stage and they just played it out. Um, 
but with everything that was going on uh, in the world at that time, of course, most notably the death of JFK, uh, you know, we were working in this new medium television and then the world shifted and the death of JFK was a big deal, even outside the US, like it was a big deal everywhere uh, just because it was such a public, such a public event uh, yeah. that we just were not ready for. Um, especially since he was the first, since he was like the first really heavily televised president who was elected because he looked like he should be on TV. <laughs> um, but anyways, I, I won't spend a lot of time going into the JFK stuff, but needless to say, it is a very, very significant event in, in world history, certainly yeah. American history. And it's interesting for me to see through different things that it affected things over there do you recall uh you know growing up anything coming up in history about about this particular time period with the death with the death of jfk and like things happening around this early 1960s does anything else stick out in your mind about that time period um i mean nothing really i mean I mean, we obviously know about, you know, the whole assassination thing, you know, in, in the UK. I mean, it's it's not that it's not that delved into, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of the, you know, the details and stuff like it, it, I, I, I feel like a lot of it is glossed over and I didn't really learn much more about it until I really moved over here and stuff. Right, um, right. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, to be, in, in all honesty, I, I can't really think of anything really significant around the early 60s. Um, I mean, being a being being a Brit, the only thing I can think of around the sixties is really England winning the World Cup in nineteen sixty six. Right, and, right, uh, yeah, and um, and the moon landings, of course, as well. Right, around that time too. Yeah, so, um, a big you know big first step into space. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, yeah, and 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 two and two long running sci fi franchises starting around the same time. Yeah. So, yeah, not too not too far apart from each other for sure. Yeah, and that's it's kind of I went on um I've mentioned them a couple times on the show, but I went on Red Shirts podcast, which is yeah. based in the UK. And you know, as we were discussing Star Trek Enterprise, they were saying, you know, Star Trek is it it is American, but Enterprise is very American. And I feel like depending on what v- what iteration of the doctor you're watching it feels very very british is in your mind is there a version of the doctor or is there you know one of the incarnations of the doctor that is more british than any other i don't know there like it it's um that's a that's a really that's a really tough question todd um <laughs> i mean Obviously, they're all obviously they're all played by English actors, or right. sorry, British actors. I should say, not they're not all English. Um, a, a distinction to, to to be made for sure. Like, yeah, it's there is a difference, folks. <laughs> is there one that's more that, that's most quintessentially English? I I don't know. It's almost it's almost splitting hairs, really. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like you know, it's it's almost it's basically like saying which James Bond is the most is the most British, or right. which 
you know, which captain in Star Trek is the most Star Trek, for example, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great, that's a great, uh, that's a great comparison. It's a tough one. I'm not sure if I could answer that question. No, that's okay. I'm qualified to answer that question. (laughs) No, that's okay. I just, you know, again, as a, as a, uh, as a fan, you know, but as a, an American, I've never been to England. Uh, the wife and I are planning on going next year for our 15th wedding anniversary. So ah, very nice. we'll see if we can, uh, you know, find uh, some, some fun little uh, places to visit over there. Uh, but yeah, we're um, Star Trek is very, very American, you know, even in its cons, uh, you know, its conception and its delivery, especially, you know, with the cage and of course the introduction of the regular series with Kirk um, and I feel like as Star Trek has gone on, there's been an inclusion. The whole idea is inclusion and mm-hmm. more of us as a species going forward. Whereas Doctor Who, I feel like the focus tends to be more inwards of like dispelling um, some prejudices and uh getting people out of their comfort zones uh, with their thoughts about cultures and things of that sort where Star Trek does do that too. But I think because the doctor is focusing his delivery of information and working so closely with a companion or companions, it's always usually two or three yeah um usually you know i feel like it's more focused and i feel like the audience goes the audience identifies with the companion not necessarily the doctor right whereas with star trek we are usually seeing the story through the eyes of the main protagonist but also the crew as a whole yeah uh just because the crews tend to be so varied we end up identifying with someone in the crew but largely seeing the story play out for this crew as an ensemble so you know have there been things that you've gleaned in your fandom of doctor who that have kind of stuck in your brain somewhere of like you know what i remember this thing about interacting with people and you know where i heard about it first doctor who you know Mm -hmm. is there is there anything from doctor who that you've carried with you through your life? Uh, that's a pretty awesome question. Um, <laughs> I, do, I do my best. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, that's, that's a really deep question, Todd. Um, I tell you what, let's let's press pause on that question and let's dial it back. Do you have an earliest Doctor Who memory? It's, it's usually where we start with these things, anyway. Yeah. What is your What is your earliest memory connected with doctor who like how old were you when you were first aware or i mean we talked a little bit before we started rolling it's kind of hard to be british and not know of doctor who it's almost like okay here's your you know samples of uh, laundry detergent and uh you know (laughs) here's you know this one record and oh and here's doctor who yeah (laughs) welcome to england (laughs) it literally is it's like it's like the the whole british stereotype of everybody drinks tea yes we pretty much do yeah and like you know all houses have a washing machine in their in their you know in uh, in their kitchen or in in their um not not their laundry room in in 
I don't know their their back room or whatever it is. Right. Um, laundromats are such a uh, a bit of an alien concept to a degree. Uh-huh. Um, and um, and everybody knows who Doctor Who, who is. Like like they, it's very difficult to bump into an English person and not um, and then not to know who Doctor Who is. Um, yeah. yeah. Very much like I think I mentioned earlier, like that. You know, it's 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 like asking an American who you know who MacGyver is, right. for example. Yeah, um, like yeah. everybody will know who 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 MacGyver is, and and you know, and have, have watched a an episode uh, of it at some point. Yeah. Um, if I'm even, I guess I'm using the right, I guess counterpoint for it. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> you know, because I I you know, growing up, I was a big fan of MacGyver, so that that hits home for me. <laughs> um but earliest memory like from childhood i mean you know we we all i think you know on um uh you know on your usual computer routine podcast you you know you ask folks about like their earliest memories of star trek and it's usually a rerun right from from when you uh from when you're a kid of, of like the original series and stuff um, of course yeah <laughs> <laughs> reruns of, reruns of old school doctor who even the black and white versions were very prevalent even when i was growing up in the 90s um just as prevalent as it was to have something like Star Trek rerun on TV as well. So yeah. um, it was it was it was pretty it was pretty common to see you know uh, an ep- a random episode of Doctor Who you know on the TV um, mm. and part of your usual TV you know your t- usual TV programming of a of whatever a Saturday Saturday day or Saturday night. Um, and I, I feel like I remember sitting like just watching you know tv randomly when i was like five or six i think and then like a i don't remember exactly which doctor it was but it was like a black and white um episode of doctor who and i remember watching it and i was like this is really boring (laughs) 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 so so didn't 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 uh didn't hook me right away but um I went to, but then I went to school, like, you know, eventually, as we all do, of course. And, yeah. and uh, a friend of mine, like, you know, got me into it uh, one day. I, just, I went around his house and he was like, oh, let's, let's watch Doc 2. And I'm like, Doc 2, like, like the old black and white, boring stuff. And he's mm. like, no, no, this is like, this is in color. And it's, you know, it's actually really, really cool. And my first, my first proper memory of Doc 2 and, and, and getting to, getting really into the, into the lore and getting really, um you know properly like i suppose enticed to really watch further episodes and get to understand like all the different doctors and stuff was was actually the third doctor story john Purton, um uh who was yeah. my friend's favorite doctor the 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 all the the all uh action man doctor who doing all the all the fist fighting and everything yes. um it was uh it was his it was his story uh day of the daleks oh yeah uh, which was uh which was which was really cool um and uh and i haven't really looked back since uh from there although although the third doctor isn't my favorite doctor as much as he was kind of my my first kind of proper introduction to doctor Who. well uh yeah this is this is a fascinating thing because uh you know there's part of the structure of the show for anybody who's listening who is not familiar with doctor who <laughs> Part of the structure of the show is that the doctor is an alien who at some point, uh, be it, you know, the end of the cycle or just, um, you know, in a fight with another alien or whatever, for whatever reason, the doctor quote unquote dies and is regenerated. 
part of that is, you know, his alien species, you know, regenerates and they are called time lords, so they can live for quite a long time. Uh, on the production side, it's a way for an actor to either get out of their contract or, you know, certain things happen and they don't want to play the role anymore because they want to move on to other things, which is understandable. It's a way for them to sort of end that actor's story, have the doctor, quote unquote, die, regenerate into whoever is going to play the doctor moving forward. It's a mm. brilliant move uh, production wise. And again, with science fiction, sky's the limit. So why not? Uh, I, you know, I mentioned my first, uh, my first uh, Doctor Who memories. And I think one of the things that I remember was that I was basically, I, rem I remember talking with my wife about our relationship and how people are bigger on the inside <laughs> <laughs> and this is the this is the thing that uh that stuck with me is the idea of people being bigger on the inside and once you're in and you kind of learn that language and you learn where the buttons and what where the controls are you can navigate it a little bit but you'll never really truly know all the mysteries of another person mm. uh the best you can do is flip a couple switches and hang on <laughs> well uh, you know i've never i've never ever heard anyone use the and uh, uh, oh sorry i never i've never ever um heard the analogy of uh of humans being compared to tardises that's 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 such a cool way of looking at it <laughs> oh thanks yeah it's uh yeah i you know she and i talked uh it was an anniversary but i'm, I'm having trouble remembering which anniversary it was well in any event it was uh you know i hope she's not listening to this talk <laughs> Are you kidding? She doesn't listen to my show. <laughs> what? My executive producer listens to the show? She doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> no, she probably does. And this this part is coming back to bite me in the ass right now. <laughs> I'm sure she'll remind you. Yeah, she will. <laughs> but you know, uh, you know, with with British actors versus American actors, if you watch a, an unearthly child mm -hmm. next to the cage you're seeing two different acting styles and it's really fascinating because the brits seem to be very um it's it's more reserved mm -hmm. and it's more played uh there's an air there's an air of this is how people behave and i i'm sure some of that comes from british culture and, you know, there's uh, st stuff I don't understand because I've never been there. I haven't lived that life. So I'll I'll keep my comments to a minimum <laughs> on that. Uh, but when you see the stuff from, you know, the cage and early season one with William Shatner, who, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are endless, endless jokes about William Shatner and his overacting on uh, those early those early episodes of Star Trek. Uh, you know, even, even his cadence, which Spock, we have to go to the planet, you know, and just, what are, what are you doing, Bill? <laughs> but that's so, per that's so perfect though, Todd, like just, just to that point that, um, 
the like I mean I'm sure we'll get into it when we, when we like actually discuss the episode and stuff. Yeah. But you could close like you could literally close your eyes and just listen to an an on an unearthly child. That's such a mouthful for a British person saying an <laughs> unearthly child. Um, and it you you could be listening to like a radio play. Yeah, basically, like yeah. It, it would be fit for a radio play. Whereas something like Star Trek, like the you know the Cage or the first season of the original series, it's a very visual thing. Like you have to you have to be there to see it, yeah. like acted out and stuff. Yeah. So that's the. I feel like especially in that era of television, there is there's always been that stark contrast of how the Brits do it and how the Americans did it. You know, yeah. Stuff, so. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, uh, you know, going back to those 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 styles of acting, you know, it's not a secret. Brits invented acting. <laughs> They're very good at it. <laughs> uh, but you know, whereas you know, with American television, it was just it, it is it was very visual. It was a lot of eye candy, a lot of mm-hmm. hey, what kind of special effects can we throw in? And you know, we're gonna have all these you know funky looking aliens and you know, all this stuff as opposed to those early Doctor Who episodes, and especially because the initial concept, there was a heavy element of, oh, it's also going to be educational. Mm. Um, and I think that was something that was kind of part of the pitch to BBC, um, but also part of, hey, we're, we're going to take this in a different direction. We're going to do something that hasn't been done before. And this is going to be something that stands head and shoulders above the rest. Yes, it's for kids, but it's something everybody can get into. And that's really fascinating because I don't know. I don't know that Star Trek initially followed the same pattern. I think they were more focused on telling good stories and it took place in space and there were aliens and all that. But I don't know that Star Trek was aimed at children as opposed to doctor who no that's a good point i don't know but i feel like that again i feel like the younger me would have like definitely gravitated a little bit more towards star trek by like again with the visual piece to yeah it, yeah that's um, true okay it, i don't know maybe maybe 60s kids were just ease like more impressionable in england <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> Well, uh, you know, it's 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 hard for us to continue talking about uh, Doctor Who without really getting into the nitty gritty of this episode. So without further ado, let's get to this week's recap brought to you in part by our Patreon supporters, Rev J, Jerry Antimano, Cosmic Crit, Kitty B and David Willett. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Excuse me. What are you doing here? Uh, we're looking for a girl. Have you ever thought what it's like to be wanderers in the fourth dimension? Susan Foreman. <laughs> she your problem too? We're two of her teachers from the Coal Hill School. We saw her come in and we haven't seen her leave. Naturally, we're worried. The TARDIS can go anywhere. TARDIS? I don't understand you, Susan. Well, I made up the name TARDIS from the initials Time and Relative Dimension in Space. You say we've gone back in time? Yes, quite so. So that when we go out of that door, we won't be in a junkyard in London, in England, in the year 1963. 
At Cole Hill School, teachers Ian and Barbara have concerns about their student Susan, who has an unusual outlook on science and history. When the teachers visit her address to investigate, they encounter a police box and hear Susan's voice from inside. An elderly man arrives and refuses to let the teachers inside the police box. Ian and Barbara force their way in and find Susan in a technologically advanced control room that's larger than the police box exterior. Susan explains that the object is a time and space machine called the TARDIS, and the old man is her grandfather, who reveals that he and his granddaughter are exiles from their own planet. Refusing to let Ian and Barbara leave, he sets the TARDIS in flight, and the ship goes through time and space to the Stone Age. Ooh, that's interesting. Hey folks, just wanted to take a second to let you know we here at Computer Resume Podcast are currently raising money for a family in need. This is a family Kat and I know personally, and they really need as much help as we can all give. Please click the link in our bio on Instagram or Twitter and hit that top link for more details. Thanks everyone. Now, back to the show. So yeah, this first chapter is really, uh, well, short, (laughs) first of all, it's very short, Uh, but the structure, let's start with the structure. Uh, You know, a season of television here in the States uh, usually ran about 20 to 25 or 26 episodes, give or take a quote unquote season or a series of Doctor Who four episodes, five episodes, they broke them into chapters. What, which do you prefer? Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an excellent question. Um, I don't know, you know, like I, I quite, I quite like following quite a, a, a long story arc and kind of really getting to know the characters and stuff. Yeah. I feel like the way that Doctor Who did it, especially back in, back in the, back in the olden days can i say that sure <laughs> back in the olden days um I, i'm i'm gonna assume and again i don't really know that much about the film industry or the or the tv production industry but i'm assuming like budgets and you know funding and stuff wasn't that high mm-hmm. you know for good quality television uh, or good wholesome television like you would probably get in america for you know things like star trek and dallas and you know everything else um so you know i think you know the way that they kind of overcame that was to you know make uh each of the seasons you know a lot less you know a lot less uh drawn out i suppose and kind of tried to tie up things a lot you know a lot quicker um and then you know it, within less episodes and stuff it does make it it does make it easier to follow because there's a lot less i suppose quote unquote filler um but I don't know. I, I I quite like the I quite like the long kind of drawn out story arcs where you where you where you know where you've got a couple of filler episodes here and there to like lighten the mood, but then you, you know you, you can still watch that stuff and still appreciate the rest of the story. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for those longer seasons where you know you mentioned filler episodes. Uh, I have always referred to those, especially in terms of science fiction, mm-hmm. freak of the week. You know. <laughs> What's Mulder and Scully getting into this week? Or who's Clark Kent beating up in Smallville this week? You know, all that sort of thing. And, you know, but again, those were in the 90s. 
Here more recently, especially in the age of streaming, we're seeing seasons of television are cut in half where a season of something will come out and it's 10 episodes, 12 episodes. You know, even Doctor Who progressed from, you know, half a dozen roughly 20 minute episodes into now you get 10 to 12, you know, give or take a few hour long episodes. So something that would have something that would be an hour long now was done in half a dozen chapters back in the day. So, you know, if you're looking at the structure of a script where, you know, using the formula of one page of script is one minute of screen time, they were shooting, let's say, four chapters. So you've got four 20-page scripts. So you've got 80 pages. Yeah. So that actually gets pared down and condensed for what would happen nowadays which is interesting because in terms of writing uh i've experienced it my wife is uh you know as a writer as well and i've worked with other writers and we all agree writing's the easy part it's the editing that'll (laughs) kill you every time (laughs) being able to take 80 pages and turn it into 60 like that's that gets a little tricky it's much like Uh, podcasting todd Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Very, very true. Um, But, you know, looking at something like this is so fascinating because you're, you're having to see this condensed process. And again, with modern, uh, with modern production, it's usually not shot in order. You shoot, okay, we're shooting all the TARDIS interiors today. And then you go on location. Okay, we're shooting all the location exteriors today. Or now we're shooting all the TARDIS exteriors today. Or, you know, we're indoors, so we're in a studio. So we're shooting, you know, we've got that we've got that set built. We're going to shoot everything on that set today. Or this particular actor, we only have them for one day. One so, day we, yeah. so we have to shoot all of their stuff in one day. <laughs> you know, whatever the whatever it is, it really takes shape in the editing room. And with these episodes here, they were shooting most of this stuff in order because the editing process was still very new. And they're having to, rather than paste things together, of course, nothing was digital. Right. They were they were doing it by hand. <laughs> American, British, we were all doing it by hand. So you had to be really careful about all that stuff. And, uh, you know... That that in and of itself is an art form that's been lost to time. <laughs> uh, although, funnily enough, still used largely by podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, when you when you when you've got that sort of thing to work in, it creates some interesting creative barriers to get around. Like, okay, well, they're gonna do this thing in a spaceship what's the spaceship it's a box okay well they all all the actors can't all the actors and cameras can't fit in the box well it's bigger on the inside really sure (laughs) (laughs) and you know down the road it's like you know william hartnell's william hartnell's getting older it's hard for him to remember the lines and he's an old man well we can just get somebody else well 
you're going to replace him? Oh, yeah, he's an alien. So we can just make him turn into somebody else. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, but that's kind of, you know, necessity is the mother inv- is the mother of invention. Yeah. So, you know, presented these interesting things, you know, these interesting obstacles, we see some really brilliant creativity on the part of the creators. Um, as a fan, if you were going to sell Doctor Who to someone, again, it's kind of hard to conceive somebody not knowing who <laughs> Doctor Who is, but if you were going to sell Doctor Who to somebody who's never seen it, and you had to put it and you had to break it down into a nutshell of what Doctor Who is. What do you say? What do you tell them? Uh, I mean, I mean, the, the, the obvious, I guess. Right. So it's an adventure in space and time in a box that is bigger on the inside than it is the outside. And um, and humans follow this alien into space, not knowing if they're going to live or die. And. Some are some are lucky enough to survive and come back and learn all about themselves. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, I think that um, you know, I think that uh, you know, with Doctor Who, it's all about um, just building like amazing character arcs, and and because of the show's rich history, there's so many like Easter eggs and things, you know, and things that that harken back on episodes like that would that they'd gone decades ago, and then kind of brought back to life almost in this modern age so and there's literally something for there's almost something for everybody at at, at any age that you get into into the show so yeah you know that's 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 my best sell i think (laughs) yeah absolutely it's it's so complicated right off the bat so it's not it's not an easy it's not an easy boilerplate uh, elevator pitch type show it's not you know you you can't really sum it up in a phrase in a sentence it's it's so there's so much even in these early stages wait a minute they're he their grandfather and granddaughter like they're so they're related but he's hundreds of years old she's a teenager this thing goes through space and time what are those teachers doing here like <laughs> there's so much going on in this first 20 minutes first 20 minutes of this epic that has stretched from 1963 to 2022 and it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon (laughs) uh you know one thing that i find super interesting and i i think i mentioned this a little bit earlier is the idea that the audience actually identifies with the companions not with the doctor they uh they experience these adventures mostly for the first time uh, with the companions who are more often than not also experiencing it for the very first time. Uh, you know, they, the companions are the Greek chorus. They are R2-D2 and C-3PO. We are seeing this un- this adventure unfold for them in real time. So this is where this is where we as the audience sort of try to understand things as they are understanding things but it's you know you mentioned something briefly uh that these companions go on this trip uh you know sometimes it's a longer trip sometimes it's a very short trip sometimes they don't survive but if they come back home they are different they are different than when they left and that's really fascinating to me have you ever taken a trip and returned a different person you are different than the person that you were when you left. Have you ever had an experience like that? 
Uh, well, I mean, I, I came to New York in 2012. I went back home and I'm back here again, married with the kid, uh, married with a wife and two kids. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely that life affirming journey, but, yeah. um, you know, there's, there is, um, there's a trip I took actually when I was, when I was much younger in my teens, um, I used to, I used to belong to like a, uh, uh, like an ROTC kind of like organization back home in England yeah, um, yeah. called the air cadets. And um, they used to take us on trips around the country. And uh, if you were, you know, if you were lucky enough, get selected to go on, on, on trips abroad and stuff. And uh, one of the trips abroad that I took was uh, to Mongolia, actually. Uh, wow. So we, we got to, we got to do all this, you know, amazing, uh, you know these amazing treks across like the plains of Mongolia and over these like massive mountains and stuff like that and yeah. you know 16 year old me had never ever seen anything like it like ever in my life and uh, you know I, I, I think I think coming back and having all those experiences of seeing you know a different culture and you know being able to being able to dine with Mongolians in the middle of nowhere and you know in eat fermented goat's cheese that they'd made you know in in their little huts and stuff it was it was just like it, it just gave me a, a, like a deeper appreciation of like there's there's life outside of you know of the four walls of my house and then there's life outside beyond the borders of the country and stuff and you know yeah. it's um you know it definitely it, def- it definitely made me um you know appreciate you know cultures uh, a lot more and so yeah absolutely i uh you know i think uh i've been involved in martial arts for um since i was young now um and i think my first world championships which was held in vegas uh when i was 12 and Mm -hmm. so i went from south carolina to las vegas with my parents that was a first my first real big trip because we have family and lives in pennsylvania and you know uh i've been around you know fairly close to home but that first big trip out west when i was 12 uh was a real was a real big big shift for me because i'd never been to a huge city Mm -hmm. let alone vegas and then uh (laughs) interacting with people from all over the world uh in this one place doing this one thing and that was that was a lot of fun and then um and i came back with that experience of like you know, oh, people there, there's other people out. Uh, like you said, there's people outside of the four walls of, well, for me, outside the four walls of my martial arts school, <laughs> there's other people doing this around the world. Uh, you know, the other, the other thing I think of uh, regularly is uh, the, my honeymoon with my wife, we went to, we went to Hawaii and it, you know, all the cliched things you can say about Hawaii. It is, it is the trip of a lifetime. Uh, so much so that while we were out there, we almost, we, we almost stayed uh, at the time I was working in law enforcement. I was like, babe, I work in law enforcement. I can work anywhere. And the company she was working for at the time had an office there in Honolulu we were dangerously close to <laughs> moving to Hawaii. <laughs> but I think, I think those uh, honeymoon goggles were, uh, you know, pretty thick on us. Uh, but then, you know, a few years later, the wife and I picked up and moved from South Carolina to Florida. And it was the first time I had lived away from home. Um, and uh, we got a, we got a glimpse of, you know, for all the things that we've done, 
that was where we saw new cultures was moving to Florida because (laughs) the folks that we encountered uh, were nobody, nobody's from Florida. They've all, (laughs) they've all all migrated South and they Mm -hmm. migrated from the places in the country that have the worst winters. Well, if you think about where the winter is the worst here in the States, it's some of the most aggressive cities in the entire country. <laughs> so all these people move to Florida and you're like, oh man, all these people are jerks. That's why. Because they're all yeah. from they're all from Detroit, Chicago, Boston, New York. Like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I never ever thought about it like that before. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a great way of looking at it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this, you know, that, that's something that stuck with me was, you know, these companions and you see it, especially in, you know, for, for folks, I think you really get a good glimpse of it with, uh, Billy Piper playing Rose Tyler and, uh, Karen Gillan playing, um, Amy Pond, you know, when they, when they have those first few adventures and then they step out of the TARDIS back in their front yard or back in their flat or back in their apartment you can see it in their face they are a different person from when from where they left and you know i think everybody has that defining moment and it's a very relatable it's a very relatable experience it might be going to college or it might be leaving home or it might be getting married or it might be traveling around the world or, you know, something. Or it might be getting into a blue box with a man you never met before and traveling through time and space. <laughs> exactly. You're absolutely right, sir. Uh, you know, and that's, and that's so, and that's such a fun, it's such a fun thing. It's, it's such a great thing to experience yourself. It's also a fun and interesting thing to see happen for someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, trips like that uh, really are made um, by the people who take them and the people you take them with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to that end, we always ask the question, who do we blame? <laughs> so uh, this episode of Doctor Who was written by Anthony Coburn uh, and C.E. Weber. Um Coburn was born in Melbourne, Australia, December 10th, 1927. Uh, I believe as of this recording yesterday would have been his 95th birthday. Uh, He moved to the UK in his 20s. His first writing credit was Night Errant Limited, season three, episode 10, The Conspirators in 1960. And this is his first of four writing credits, uh, writing for the series. Uh, The remaining three, were the very next three, The Cave of Skulls, Forest of Fear, and The Fire Maker, all produced in 1963. Uh, he also wrote six episodes, each of The Children of the New Forest and Heiress of Garth, and then 31 episodes of The Newcomers from 1965 to 1966, uh, and is credited as the creator, along with Ian McIntosh, of Warship from 1973 to 1977. And then Anthony Coburn died on April 28th, 1977. He was 50 years old. Uh, Then uh, Cecil Edwin Bunny Weber uh, was born in England on April 9th, 1909. His first credit was Pray You Look In. That was a TV movie from 1951. Then he did six episodes each of The Silver Swan and Lucky Silver in the 1950s. He adapted uh, six episodes of The Silver Sword 
and seven episodes of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. He did six episodes of Hurricane. That's in 1961. He adapted 12 episodes of William from 1962 to 1963. And this is his only work on the series and it went uncredited. You know, that's one thing I saw, you know, with these type of productions is everybody that was involved didn't necessarily get their name on screen. You know, there were a lot of people working behind the scenes and they kind of hit the the big key players, but not everybody got a screen credit. It's a lot different today. Then uh, Bunny Weber died in June of 1969. He was 60 years old. And then uh, the episode was directed by Waris Habibula. He was born on December 9th, 1938. Uh, he is 83 years old. Uh, he was in British India to an aristocratic family. And in 1946, his father was appointed to the Indian High Commission in London. So the family up and moved to the UK. Uh, His father returned to India in 1947 after the independence of Pakistan. But his mom, Atiya Hossein, chose to stay in England with her kids and worked as a writer and broadcaster in the Indian section of BBC's Eastern Service. He went to Clifton College, then Queen's College, Cambridge, where he directed several plays, working with folks like uh, Derek Jacoby, and I'm going to see if I can, I think it's Ian Macklin. Is that, is that, is that it? Ian Macklin? I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Is that, is that right? (laughs) I'm not sure, Todd. Yeah, okay. Give it another go, maybe. (laughs) Okay, all right. I think it's Ian Macklin. We'll, we'll, we'll we'll see. Okay, so uh, Sir Derek George Jacoby. Uh, he's, he won a BAFTA, two Emmys and two SAG awards, blah, blah, blah. But he was in Dr. Who season three, episode 11, Utopia in 2007, pre- playing professor Yana. And then, uh, before that he was in Dr. Who scream of the Shalka. That was a 2003 animated web series, uh, where he voiced the master for folks who don't know, uh, you can't have a hero without a villain. And the doctor's main antagonist is this character called the master. Uh, But what's interesting about the scream of Schalke is there was also a a young actor with an uncredited role. That actor was David Tennant, who's a very well-known, very popular British actor. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about him in a few minutes. And then uh, in case you didn't catch it, Sir Ian McKellen, as uh, the other person uh, that uh, Mr. Warris uh, worked with, he's won a Golden Globe, two SAGs, uh, a bunch of nominations for, I don't know, some comic book movies and some fantasy stuff. I wasn't really paying attention to those. Anyway, uh, he was in Doctor Who season seven, episode six, The Snowman in 2012 as the voice of the great intelligence. Is he? I didn't know. I, I yep. didn't know he was. I didn't even know he was in Doctor Who at all. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was kind of surprised. I was like, oh, he's not been. Oh, yes, he has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a lot of fun to find those. Uh, yeah. In case, you, uh, in case, you know, the comic book and fantasy movies uh, didn't hit any chords with anybody. Uh, he was uh, Magneto in all the X-Men movies and uh, he was Gandalf in all the Lord of the Rings stuff. So yeah, uh, I think the he's, he's comfortably living on <laughs> those deals for sure. Uh, but anyways, back to uh, Waris Habibula. Uh, after graduating in 1960, Waris joined the BBC to train as a director and he changed his name from Habibula to Hussein. 
uh, a good choice at the time it would not actually be a good choice later on down the road down the road if you're familiar with history anyway uh his first credit is on a show called suspense season two episode three one step from the pavement that was in 1963 and then doctor who uh he got 10 episodes of doctor who of course starting with this an unearthly child and he would do the first four and then it would skip to episode 14 the roof of the world that was in 1964 um he would also do the next one uh excuse me the next two uh ending with uh 500 eyes that was in 1964 and then he would skip another episode and go uh to writer from shang Tu. that was also in 1964 and then he would end his run on season one episode 20 assassin at peking and that was also in 1964 then he would go on to do nine episodes of the wednesday play Quaxer Fortune has a cousin in the Bronx. It's a film from 1970. It stars Gene Wilder and Mar- and Margot Kidder. So, you know, uh, legendary uh, co- comedic actor Gene Wilder and Lois Lane <laughs> from Richard Donner's Superman. Uh, I-, I think I'm going to have to check that one out. That sounds pretty cool, honestly. <laughs> then we've got The Possession of Joel Delaney from 1972, which stars Shirley MacLaine. And then we've got Divorce His, Divorce Hers, a 1973 TV movie, which stars Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor, and Star Trek alum, Rosalind Landor. Uh, then we've got seven episodes each of Notorious Women and Edward and Mrs. Simpson. Uh, those are from 1974 and 1978, respectively. And then we've got Callie and Son, a 1981 TV film, which stars another Star Trek alum Joy Garrett and a very young Michelle Pfeiffer. Hey, apes, apes, apes. Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer tried to mess with the Batman. Michelle Pfeiffer tried to mess with the Batman. Michelle Pfeiffer tried to mess with the Batman. Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Guess what, Michelle Pfeiffer? You ain't a real cat. Come on. I'll tell you one thing ain't no way you gonna meow with the Batman. Basically, for the rest of his career, Hussein would start uh, a decade making about a dozen TV movies and then spend the rest of the decade doing about half a dozen episodes on some TV shows. Lather, rinse, repeat. You know, once if you find a if you find a pattern that works for you, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, man. (laughs) Sounds like a great life. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, his most recent credit is Great Performances, a TV docuseries. Uh, his episode, Sarah, was episode uh, 15 of the 49th season, <laughs> which came out earlier this year. That's right, folks. He's still working. <laughs> the man is still working, That's still amazing. cranking it out. <laughs> My hat's off to him. <laughs> and then uh, let's get to the stars here. We've got, first off, uh, Mr. William Russell as Ian Chesterton. Uh, he's got an interesting career. His first film was Glory at Sea, 1952. Uh, he played a crewman there uh, alongside Richard Attenborough from Jurassic Park. And then he got his first regular TV credit, six episodes in the title role of St. Ives in 1955, which he would reprise five years later with six more episodes. Then he would go on to do 30 episodes of The Adventures of Sir Lancelot from 1956 to 1957. 
uh, of course, playing Sir Lancelot. He, he got a lot of a lot of title roles. He also was Nil- Nicholas Nickleby, 1957. He did 10 episodes of Hamlet as Hamlet in 1961. And then he was in a little movie called The Great Escape in 1963 alongside Steve McQueen, James Garner, Richard Attenborough again, <laughs> and Charles Bronson. And then after this, he would go on and do 77 episodes of Doctor Who from 1963 to 1965, of course, playing Ian Chesterton. And he would reprise that role in 1999 in Doctor Who, The Crusade. Uh, Actually, after that, he would get another pretty significant role in Richard Donner's Superman. So we're seeing uh, Richard Donner appear a lot. We're seeing Richard Attenborough appear a lot uh, throughout these. Uh, Yeah, but he plays one of the elders there on Krypton before Krypton explodes. Then his. Uh. Yeah, yeah. And then his most recent credit was Executive Order. It's a 2020 Brazilian film. He, his character doesn't have a name, but I didn't realize there was a lot of filmmaking going on in Brazil. It makes me want to seek it out and see what the see what it's all about. Oh, okay. And then we've got uh, Jacqueline Hill as Barbara Wright. She was born on December 17th, 1929. Her family pulled her out of school at 14 years old so her brother can continue, and she went to work for Cadbury's, the candy company, which sounds like she got the better end of that deal. Uh, (laughs) The company had an amateur theater group. She auditioned and got in. Later, she was encouraged to apply for and received a scholarship at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. and entered the school when she was 16 years old. And that's 1945, if you're keeping track at home. Uh, Hill graduated from that school in 1951. Her first credit was the Blue Parrot, 1953, playing Sergeant Marine McGuire. And then her first TV credit came that same year, three episodes of The Rose and the Ring. And then she would get four episodes of ABC TV's Armchair Theater, uh, one of which uh, in 1957, Requiem for a Heavyweight, which is uh, season eight, episode 13, was opposite a young Sean Connery and Michael Caine. Uh, it was written by Rod Serling, who did most of The Twilight Zone and was directed by Alvin Rakoff. And, and then in 1958, the very next year, she married Alvin Rakoff. So she is playing the game and playing it well. <laughs> After this, she did 76 episodes of Doctor Who from 1963 to 1965, uh, continuing in the role of Barbara Wright. Then she would go on to do the BBC television Shakespeare, season one, episode one, Romeo and Juliet in 1978, playing playing Lady Capulet, uh, directed by her husband, Alvin Rakoff, uh, with a pre-diehard Alan Rickman as Tybalt. I want to see that. Yeah, me too. (laughs) It's got to be out there somewhere, but I would love to see Alan Rickman as Tybalt. That would be so cool. Uh, She would also do four more episodes of Doctor Who under Tom Baker, uh, playing Megalos in 1980. I had no idea. I've got to go back and rewatch that uh, that story. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know what? I misspoke. She played Lexa. I think the episode, the series was called Megalos. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but then her last uh, credit was five episodes of Paradise Postponed in 1986 as Mrs. Mallard Green. And Jacqueline Hill 
passed away in February 18th of 1993 in london she was 63 years old she is survived by her two children that she had with her husband alan rakoff and then we have uh the absolutely adorable carol ann ford as susan foreman her first appearance uh was the last load from 1948 which i tried to find some information on that i think the a more appropriate title might be the lost load. Like <laughs> it, good luck finding stuff out there. I, I scoured YouTube and uh, you know, Wikipedia, IMDB. I, I can't find anything about it, but then uh, 10 years later, she would actually get her first TV credit theater night season two, episode four espresso bongo. That was in 1958. Then 18 films and 14 TV appearances later, she would start and do 51 episodes of Doctor Who from 1963 to 1964 as Susan Foreman. It's a role she would reprise uh, in The Five Doctors uh, in 1983. That would be the 20th anniversary. And Doctor Who Dimensions in Time in 1993. Also, Doctor Who, A Happy Ending in 2006. She's also made a lot of appearances in some uh, Who-adjacent things, some fan-made properties. Uh, Shakedown, The Return of the Santarans. She played Zorel, And then uh, we've got four episodes of Doctor Who, The Eighth Doctor Adventures from 2009 to 2011. And the five-ish Doctors reboot in 2013. <laughs> he also has uh, a role as Susan Foreman in Mind Sick. Mind Sick. I believe that's another fan-made production. That was actually just earlier this year. She's, yeah. she's still out there. She's still cranking it. She's still going. So that's good so to, cool. Yeah, good for her. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to check some of this stuff out that she's been doing. It, but it's so cool, Todd. That the um, that you know. Doctor Who, just like Star Trek, like uses like recurring or has their actors do recurring roles yeah. like throughout the show and stuff. It's uh, yeah. it's always nice to see like familiar faces again. Oh like, yeah, online and stuff for sure. I think one of the companions that my wife sort of latched onto, and I, you know, if I if I just say my Sarah Jane. My wife will start crying. <laughs> That's it's very triggering for my wife. <laughs> and then uh, we certainly can't uh, talk about this and not talk about the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. William Hartnell as the first doctor uh, born January 8th, 1908 in London. Uh, many of the details of his life were actually compiled by his real life granddaughter, Jessica Carney in her book, Who's There? The Life and Career of William Hartnell, revised and republished in 2013 as part of the 50th anniversary celebration. That's such and an I, amazing title. <laughs> I know. That's so great. That's so great. Uh, yeah, his first appearance was Say It With Music in 1932. He was 24 at the time. 46 films later, he would do Seagulls Over Sorrento, a TV film uh, in, in 1953. He is now 45, playing Petty Officer Herbert. And then he would play uh, 
Christy in Rheingold Theater, Season 3, Episode 28, The Auction. That was actually starring Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And then he played a lot of... he. The, part of the reason he got cast in Doctor Who was he had a reputation playing sort of gruff, older, uh, very commanding individuals. A lot of a lot of men with ranks and titles attached to their names. So hang on, folks. Here we go. He played Detective Sergeant Parsons in Josephine and Men in 1955. He played Sergeant Sutton in Private's Progress in 1956. He played Detective Inspector Ross in Scotland Yard Dragnet in 1957. He played Sergeant Grimshaw in Carry On Sergeant in 1958. <gasps> he played Sergeant Jenkins in Shake Hands with the Devil in 1959. He was the Colonel in Piccadilly Third Stop in 1960. He was... Company Sergeant Major Percy Bullimore in 14 episodes of the Army Game from 1957 to 1960. He was Major Fowler in Heavens Above from 1963 and then got uh, 132 episodes as the Doctor in Doctor Who from 1963 to 1966 and would reprise the role in four episodes for the special, uh, the 10th anniversary, The Three Doctors. Uh, William Hartnell died in his sleep of heart failure on April 23rd, 1975, after suffering from a series of strokes brought on by cerebrovascular disease. He was 67. Um, to this whole cast and crew, uh, who some are still with us and still working, many have passed on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We cannot thank you enough for this first step into time and space with the doctor. Thank you so much for all that you've uh, done in getting this ball rolling. Uh, you know, I specifically kept William Hartnell's stuff pretty short because I want folks to go out there and experience this for themselves. I, I've been, when I do these adjacent episodes, I just scratch the surface here. But these stories and the stories behind the stories are so deep and so rich that for me to try to encapsulate them is a fool's errand. So the other thing, in addition to the book written by his granddaughter, I highly, highly recommend people check out the TV movie called An Adventure in Space and Time. It is literally a, a almost a documentary of the making, the conception and delivery of Doctor Who, especially those first few episodes in 1963. Um, it's written by Mark Gaddis, who uh, is a seemingly lifelong fan of Doctor Who, has been heavily, heavily involved in Doctor Who for a long, long time, even uh, playing a few roles in Doctor Who. Uh, it was directed by Terry McDonough, and starring Sasha Sasha Holland as Waris Hussein, Jamie Glover as William Russell, Gemma Powell as Jacqueline Hill, Claudia Grant as Carol Ann Ford, and David Bradley as William Hartnell. Uh, David Bradley absolutely kills as William Hartnell in this. In fact, if you're confused or don't necessarily recognize the name David Bradley, he is the caretaker of Hogwarts. Like that dude, that, and that's just one of his roles. Like if you look up his IMDb page, you will find a handful of things of like, 
Oh yeah. He's that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's awesome. Uh, but also in an adventure in space of time, we have returning Mr. William Russell as Harry, the security guard and Carol Ann Ford as Joyce. Uh, so it's nice to see those actors sort of step back in and play along people who are playing them. That's always fun to see. And then we have Mr. Matt Smith, another very well-known British actor uh, in an uncredited role, but uh, we'll let people uh, discover that for themselves. Uh, yeah. Again, to try to encapsulate everything that is Dr. Who uh, it, I, I am fighting a losing battle here. So to kind of give you a, an idea of the scope. We mentioned that the doctor regenerates so that the role can be passed from one actor to the next. So the doctor has been officially portrayed by William Hartnell, Patrick Troughton, John Pertwee, Tom Baker, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, Paul McGann, Christopher Eccleston, David Tennant, Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi, and Jodie Whittaker. Um, New Zealand was the first country outside the UK to screen Doctor Who beginning in September of 1964, but the 50th anniversary in 2013 was broadcast in 94 countries and screened to more than half a million people in theaters across Australia, Latin America, North America, and Europe. So the big question here, how does Doctor Who stack up with Star Trek? If you're wondering, well, they've been they've been running for about the same length of time. Which which fandom is deeper? Do you have a guess, Jerry? I don't know. It's it, it's it's a real it's a real neck and neck thing, really, isn't it? With it, it with, really with the longevity of both. I mean, yeah. given given it's literally what a three year gap, right? Between yep. or like a two or three year gap between two franchises. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. It's I, it's. I'm, it's it's interesting because there was that three-year gap between the beginning of Doctor Who and The Cage, but, you know, uh, Doctor Who kind of went on hiatus there towards, uh, you know, in the 80s into the 90s, and Star Trek has, of course, gone through different periods. We have, like, the TOS period, and then we have the TNG era, and then we have New Trek, but there were many years between those those things. Well, folks... That's why I'm here. I've done the work. I've counted them up. So in second place with 861 episodes, we have Star Trek, which means Doctor Who wins with 871 episodes. Wow. It was, it's that's <laughs> that's really close. If you want to if you want to talk about it being even closer, Doctor Who has two theatrically released films. And Star Trek has 13 theatrically released uh, films, okay. which brings the total to Doctor Who, 873, and Star Trek, 874. Like, so in terms of episodes, Doctor Who wins. If you're counting the movies, yeah, Star well. Trek beats them by one. <laughs> like, <laughs> these fandoms run deep man like so deep and uh man what it, what did you think of because you actually went above and beyond the homework assignment <laughs> and watched that first series you watched all four episodes right 
Uh, I did, yeah. I was uh, I was just trying to get extra credit for your show. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we appreciate it. What what was your uh was this uh first time in a long time or was it, when was the last time you watched it before I uh forced you clockwork orange style to watch this again? This was my first time in forever, ever, ever watching it. So I've never actually watched this episode. Oh, wow. Being the Doctor Who the the quote unquote Doctor Who fan I am, uh, especially growing up with it, you know, with you know classic Doctor Who. Of course, um, I'd never actually watched an un un, an, un uh, I'm going to like shoot myself for not being on stage. <laughs> an an unearthly child, like all the yeah. way through. Yeah. Um, as a story itself, I think I've, I've caught bits here. I might have seen like one, you know, one chapter of it like yeah. off the cuff somewhere but I've, i'd never seen it all the way through and um it it was it definitely surpassed my expectations for it's, sure it's solid it's it's actually it's, <laughs> it's really good it, i mean it's easy to get spoiled by the type of science fiction that we've got today absolutely and yeah. the, and the plethora of options that we've got to consume science fiction in serialized form today but going back and looking at doctor who and star trek especially in those first those first incarnations you can say what you want about cheap sets and bad acting or you know bad special effects you i i'll, I'll never argue that at all but i will always say hey take a look at the script look at what they're look at what they're doing and keep in mind these things don't exist when they're when they're create this this is the creation of what you love and uh it's so it's so fun to watch those i actually have an unearthly child the entire series on dvd part of what i love about that is and this kind of gets into a little bit of behind the scenes of the creation of an unearthly child is when they initially produced the pilot episode, they took it to the producers. They took mm -hmm. it to the, they took it to the brass there at BBC and they said, it's not bad. Do it again, which is that that's bonkers. <laughs> that is, that's crazy. That does not happen a lot. There's it's rare that you shoot a pilot and then you have to go reshoot the pilot. Right. Like, it doesn't happen that often, but that DVD set, includes the unaired pilot and the official pilot. And it's interesting to watch them juxtaposed to each other to see what changed from the unaired to the aired. Uh -huh. it, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you've got some stuff there with Susan because Susan is, and again, as I said earlier, absolutely adorable. Uh, Carol Ann Ford is absolutely adorable in the role, but it's a little awkward having this very young girl with this very old man in a little tiny box <laughs> traveling around. So they had to make sure that they said, okay, we're, you know, they're going to be grandfather, granddaughter, and we're going to have, you know, some stuff going on with the teachers. And, you know, they had to, they had to be really careful about how they portrayed things in terms yeah. of making sure things were okay for television. You know, the censors, they, they had to make sure all of that was square. So seeing the things that changed, like I said, from unaired to aired, uh, and then once you realize, oh, the premiere date was the day after JFK was killed, they actually get into that 
in an adventure in space and time. And they were like, Hey, you know what? I forgot they did that. Yeah. 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 They had to, they had to, the producers had to really push to get a re-airing of an unearthly child because they really felt strongly about this little TV show. And I said, (laughs) we, we deserve a fair shake. We really, really deserve a fair shake. So play the pilot again before episode two and let's see how this thing shakes out and here we are in 2022 still talking about doctor who <laughs> that's it's, yeah it's unbelievable i've got to go back and watch um uh, an adventure in space and time again just, it's uh, it's just so to go good. through that experience <laughs> it, it's such a wonderful portrayal of uh you know seeing each character uh, and when i say character i'm talking about the portrayal of these actors and what they went through to get this thing from concept to air and the things that were going on in their lives. I, I think, I think the only thing that isn't really accurately portrayed, unfortunately, is William Hartnell. Because from everything that I've read online and, you know, the, I won't say a deep dive, but a just, you know, a, a second go at trying to figure out who this guy is who this gentleman was mm-hmm. his story runs deeper than an adventure in space and time leads you to believe so i'm going to do my best to get a copy of his granddaughter's book uh because he sounds like a fascinating individual mm-hmm. i mean his life was wine and women and <laughs> and uh films and follies and just I, i'm i'm very interested in the character of William Hartnell and everything that he went through in his life, even before he started acting. So um, I highly, highly recommend people check out not only an unearthly child and Dr. Who as a whole, but really check out an adventure in space and time. I hope out there, there is a super fan with video editing capabilities that takes the unaired pilot the official pilot and cuts them into an adventure in space and time, because I think that would be really fun to watch because they cover such a long uh, span of time in that. And it's, Oh, it's just, uh, yeah, I really, I really geeked out. I really geeked (laughs) out watching these again. I'm so happy and thankful that I got to talk with you, uh, Jerry. And thank you so much for coming on and carving out the time to talk with me about these and enduring all my American uh, (laughs) mouth breathing, window licking. You're from England. Let's talk Dr. Who. Uh, (laughs) Not at all, Todd, anytime. Uh, But, you know, before we go, we always ask the question, is this essential viewing? If somebody is watching Star Trek and they know Star Trek well, but maybe they haven't even heard of or certainly you've never sat and watched doctor who is doctor who essential viewing this i mean this episode in particular or like doctor who as any iteration the whole thing yeah yeah i mean it's a tall order to say hey you know how you're in the middle of watching uh this uh almost 60 year sci-fi epic uh i've got another one for you to dive into (laughs) (laughs) That's a tall order for anybody, but yeah, I mean, if it's, you know, if it's uh, the entire thing or if it's in parts is, is Dr. Who something Star Trek fans should experience. 
Yeah, I mean, in a in a really short way, absolutely. I mean, if you if you are a fan of any sci-fi, whether it's Star Trek, whether it is, I don't know, nothing else comes to mind other than like Blake's Seven or uh, or yeah. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or something. Yeah, anything even as abstract as that, like you know, Doctor Who is is if you like the quintessential sci-fi. Um, franchise if you like I, I, i'm not sure if you can call doc 2 i've always felt it weird to call doc 2 a franchise because it's not really spun off into that many other things like star trek has it's kind of kept i don't know for want of a better word mainstream mm, um yeah as its, as its own thing but yeah. obviously played by you know different actors helmed by different directors written by different writers um but yeah i mean look if you're a fan of any kind of sci-fi you know doctor who has it, at one point or another and because of the of the uh wonders of streaming now of course and of course dvd box sets etc and back in the day vhs's which is how i used to watch dot two yes um, <laughs> you know there is some, there's literally elements for everybody in it and those you know those fans of, you know, who have got into doctor who you know with quote unquote new who christopher eccleston and you know after i mean that's great it's just like getting into star trek at the at the at the pineverse side uh as, as my co- as my co-host k k cleantus would uh would, would would dub the jj abrams uh side of stuff um and that really brought it back to life right and now we've got discovery and we have picard and we have all this new track yeah if you got in if you got an if you got an into doctor who you know, at that stage where it's a lot more new, a lot newer, the visual effects are better. In some ways, the storytelling is a lot better as well. You know, it like don't discount where you've come from in terms of the roots and stuff. This is the first time I've ever watched an unearthly child having, you know, followed Doc 2, watched all of the new Who stuff, which is you no know, fantastic. Go watch that stuff if you haven't watched it already. But, you know, Going back to watch this first ever episode of the telling of Doctor Who, there was a lot of like, it, ironically, there was a lot of Easter eggs for me yeah. watching it because there was stuff about Cole Hill School. There's stuff about John Smith that is is used decades and decades like further down the line in you know within this law that I'd never thought of before and I didn't really understand where it came from. Yeah, but now I do. So. You know, it it really, it, you know, it really is, it really is essential viewing. Whether you're a you're a long time watcher of the show, or whether you're just getting into it, uh, for sure. Um, and to your point, uh, uh, Todd, not to drone on, but no, please. Like, you know, you were saying earlier that that at the time it was shot, you know, it was really just you know that one tier, that one level above a stage play. Yeah. And it really, it really is very Shakespearean. We always say Star Trek is like Shakespeare in space. Well, Doctor Who is is just basically Shakespeare across time and space, if yeah. you like. Really, yeah. Um, and you can hear it in the way that the actors deliver their lines, the way that you know the that the that the plot is is worked into you know into the story and 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 the way it's told and stuff is 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 also quintessential story writing and storytelling as well so yeah i mean look really it does cover all the bases you just got to give it a chance yeah absolutely (laughs) i you know i always think about where is a good place for people to start watching be it star trek 
or Dr. Who. And I've always <laughs> said, look, pick a doctor and start there and just start there. Uh, you know, if you now here in more recent years, if you want to start with the newer stuff, that's great. It's really going to be in your best interest to start with 2005. Yeah, I agree. Prior to that, you could pretty much pick a doctor and start there. Um, but yeah, I, I think, and we touched a little bit on this and I, I think Jerry would agree with me, you know, as, as we wrap up our discussion, if I had to give my, th- my final thoughts about Dr. Who, which I don't normally give my final thoughts <laughs> most of the time, <laughs> I, it's, it's my show. I, I all my thoughts. You do what you want, thought. Todd. <laughs> right, right, right. So, uh, you know, the final thoughts that I have about this are take the journey with the doctor and his companions but don't do it alone. Find somebody. If, if somebody's introduced, introduced the idea of Doctor Who to you, have them over, have some food, have some wine, sit and watch it together. If you've got a significant other, if you've got kids, sit and watch it together. Don't watch it alone. Don't go on this journey alone. The journey is so much better when you go with someone. Uh, you know, for Star Trek, we are learning how to interact with other people. And it's always better to take that journey with people. <laughs> uh, you know, for Doctor Who, we are seeing this for the first time. And seeing me watching Doctor Who is great. I love watching Doctor Who. Me watching my wife watch Doctor Who, even better. It's so great to witness somebody experience Doctor Who. So uh, yeah, if you're going to take the journey, absolutely take the journey. Don't take it alone. Uh, so Jerry, again, thank you so much for coming on and carving out the time. You ha- absolutely have an open invitation to come on and talk Trek or any other sci-fi property that we're discussing. Uh, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. My pleasure, Todd. My honor. Thank you. Well, folks, next week will be the last episode before we break for the holidays and the last episode of season four of Computer Resume Podcast. All right. (laughs) Good for us. (laughs) So what I get you for Christmas? Well, I wanted something meaningful, something we'll always remember, something inexpensive to get, but priceless to every Trekker out there. Next week, Santa Claus takes the form of writer, illustrator, and editor-in-chief of Antarctic Press, Mr. Brian Denham, as we cover Star Trek's pilot episode, The Cage, which is available exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Jerry, what do you have going on that people can follow on the interwebs and support, and where can people bother you on the internet? Uh, it really is no bother, Todd. But if you do, <laughs> if you do want to uh, check out any of the work that I have done, at least in the past, uh, I co-host a uh, very much adjacent or parallel podcast to what Todd is doing right now. We're much, much further behind. Uh, but if you would like to uh, check us out, uh, we are also doing a chronological uh, Star Trek um, uh, journey of our own, uh, going from Star Trek Enterprise all the way to, I guess it's Star Trek, 
Picard still, right? Star Trek Picard season yeah. three. No, well, soon to be season three anyway. Yeah. Um, but uh, you can check us out on uh, Spotify, etc., and all the other great places you get your podcasts. Um, uh, uh, we are the Four Quadrants uh, podcast um, on Instagram. Um, let me start again. On Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, etc., wherever you like. It's the number four. Uh, Q-U-A-D-R-A-N-T-S-P-O-D uh, if you want to follow us then. And I am at Mr. Tade Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in Ted Forward. Like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop. And our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn. And the voice of Computer Resume Podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods. And we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?